0: Like I said earlier, Jamie Dahl and Jeff Semple have been in Yellowknife reporting for Global News. They both did great work. They're they're fantastic reporters. But truth be told, in incidents like this, there is no replacement for local news. The reporters who live in the community, who know the community, who know the people who live there, they have a perspective that is, uh, well, it's absolutely invaluable when it comes to telling these kinds of stories. And if they do it well, they become... An incredibly valuable resource that the entire community really comes to rely on in times of emergency and cabin radio in Yellowknife has done exactly that as the Northwest Territories have faced well the biggest crisis in in recent history maybe ever Uh, cabin radio has been there doing the work and uh, thrilled that Ollie Williams the editor of cabin radio has found some time to join us we asked Ollie last week and he said guys i'm just too busy which is totally understandable but i imagine it's a little bit better today ollie thank you so much for being here i really appreciate your time
1: my pleasure and thank you for your patience
0: no no problem at all i knew you had more important things on the go um we'll get to the fire in just a minute first though i want to know uh more about you because i'm an old media guy i'm in awe of what you and your team have accomplished in the past week or so so first of all tip of the hat great great work um Tell us about Cabin Radio. Who are you?
1: We are a group of about six or seven people. We built the thing about five years ago, Shea, uh, just just to try to become an FM radio station. And that that is a whole thing in its own right. We've been working for years now through an application. We filed for an FM license in 2019. It's now what? Nearly the end of 2023. So, you know, federal bureaucracy being what it yeah. is. But we set up this whole thing. And because we don't have that FM license, a lot of our stuff is written online journalism right now. That's kind of what we're known for. And that's basically what we've been doing for the last two weeks to try to keep people safe is like minute by minute written updates that people can get and try and give them the information they need. Which is something that I don't think anybody else
0: has been doing, certainly not to the extent that you have. Um When that fire situation turned into what it ultimately became and the evacuation orders were handed down and all the rest, I, I imagine you had a choice to make, right? Stay, uh, do the work or, or leave. Just tell us what was happening as this, this situation escalated and you were forced with those kinds of decisions.
1: Yeah, we had already met as a team earlier in the week and made a decision that some of our team would go ahead of the evacuation order because we already didn't like the look of the situation ourselves, and some who were happy to remain would remain. So so we got three, four people out about 12, 18 hours before the evacuation order came down, which was actually really useful because then there were people who were either well on the way to reaching safety or were already safe who could have the coverage handed off to them while remaining staff got out during the evacuation window. How many
0: How many were on the ground? How many have been working throughout this thing?
1: So we, we had one reporter left on the ground for a couple of days. They got out sort of at the end of the yeah. evacuation window. But our general manager, a uh, guy by the name of AJ, has stayed to help build the wildfire defenses. So so he's been out with the crews actually physically building the fire breaks and, and setting up the sprinkler systems. And he's also helping to run the city because there's nobody really there right now. So things like the garbage still needs to be picked up because there's bears everywhere that are now coming into the town because it's easier for them to do so. So he's going around doing things like garbage and sewage, just doing all the stuff that normally all of our municipal workers and everyone else would do. But of course, they, they're now safe elsewhere. So so he's been a real sort of reporting lifeline for us at the same time because he's able to capture footage of what's happening. He's able to go get us interviews with people at the same time as being part of that essential stuff. That's, that's trying to keep the city safe and going
0: amazing what's it like pulling all that together i mean just logistically speaking like you say your team's sort of scattered all over the place you've got one person still how has it been managing to keep doing what you're doing which like i say you've done extremely well but it, there has to be all kinds of challenges that have come up that you've had to manage to get through
1: Yeah, the first challenge was kind of an an internet challenge because the Northwest Territories does not really have cell service on its highways and and certainly doesn't have internet. And those highways, of course, you guys know, they stretch on forever. Mm. We're talking like 600 kilometers just to really get to the Alberta border from Yellowknife and there's like two stops along the way. So so the big challenge for us getting information to people trying to flee down a 600-kilometer highway with no cell service is when are they going to get the information and how can we target that so that I know they're going to have to stop in Fort Providence, this tiny community, for gas. Because if you don't stop there for gas, you're never going to make the border. So I know that people are going to be on their phone in Fort Providence where they can get cell service. So we're going to try and get information from them getting in touch with us in Providence, and we're going to send them information for the next leg of the journey. If they go on our website, read our updates... And we kind of did that all the way down, so that people would then, they'd get to, like, high level in Alberta, and then we'd tell them, well, here are the road conditions from high level down to Edmonton, so that people could get a sense of how's my journey going to look. But at the same time, our reporters are still doing that journey themselves. <laughs> So we had people, people's partners were driving them, and they've got their laptop open in the passenger seat of the car. They've made it into Alberta. They've got cell service, and they're doing things like updating our evacuee support pages with, like, where's the accommodation? Where do I go? Who do I phone? They're doing that from their cars while they're still driving to safety. And, you know, I, my colleagues are heroes for doing that last week. We we're only a small team, and there are some people who are just, like, 22, 23, just starting careers in journalism in their first jobs. And they're having to, like, evacuate from Yellowknife to Alberta and still do their job from the passenger seat. It's amazing.
0: It is. It really and truly is. What's the response been like, Ollie? I've heard a lot of good things anecdotally and secondhand and stuff. But in terms of response from the community, from the evacuees, what have you been hearing?
1: The response has been amazing. I mean, not just in terms of like, you know, journalists, they keep an eye on how many clicks is sure, the story yeah. getting. And sure, we, we, we follow that stuff, but it, we don't really care about that right now. The response that has really meant the most to me is we still get dozens of questions sent in to us every day. And dozens is probably an underestimate of people saying, I don't know what to do in this situation. I'm worried about my accommodation or my medical situation. I can't get the answers I need. Can you guys help? We try to help every single one of those if we can. And each of those emails, when it comes in, usually has a line at the top or at the bottom that says, by the way, you guys, thank you so much for the coverage of the past week. Y- you helped me get through this. And, and I really hope that, like I just said, my younger colleagues who are just starting out, I hope they read all of those and yeah. take those to heart because that's their work, that that's is right. helping to get people through a crisis. And, and that means a huge amount.
0: And, and it sounds, you know, sort of self-serving and cliche, but literally that's why we're, we do this, right? I mean, that's sort of, we get in the information business to inform people. So you're right. When you get that kind of feedback, that makes all the difference.
1: Yeah, it, it it is really useful to be able to demonstrate to people who I know just worked crazy hours all last week, this is why we did this, because yeah. now there are thousands of people who feel a little bit more like, okay, I think I can just about hold it together through this, because I read all those updates, and I, I get it now, I have enough information to figure out if I'm in a motel room with three kids, two dogs, and a cat... And I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I'm going to need someone to tell me it's going to be okay, And here's who I can talk to. So that's that's kind of our job, just to connect people right now and and make them feel like they're not the only ones living through this.
0: Since you've been covering this uh, like nobody else, what is the situation? It seems to me like we're sort of uh, holding things at bay, right? Like things aren't really advancing. There's a lot of work to be done. risk isn't over. But what's your assessment of where the fire situation is right now?
1: We're in this holding pattern that I think is really frustrating for evacuees, but I I can understand what's happening. So outside Yellowknife, and we also have other communities like Hay River, Fort Smith, they're smaller, but they're in the same situation. They also have wildfires on the doorstep and everybody's out. The same situation is playing out in all three of those areas, which is that the fire is now being held outside the community, but... Nobody is sure yet that that's definitely going to stay the case. So we have hot weather coming up. We've got wind supposed to be pushing these fires towards communities today. We've had a lot of time over the last week. The fires were a bit quieter. Conditions were cooler and wetter. So people have been able to build a lot of defenses. Now the question is, are those going to hold up? But the problem comes that every day the wildfire agency comes on the press conference or whatever and says, this is a really tough 24 hours coming up. And the evacuees, you can hear their heart sink, being like, man, why is everything a tough 24 hours? And the answer is that these things are huge, you know? These things have burned 400,000 hectares. Yeah. I can't even imagine 400,000 hectares in my head, but it ain't small. And they're still going, there's like 40-kilometer fronts to some of these wildfires that fire crews have to figure out. And so the evacuees, it's tough for them, because they're sitting there, waiting day after day, they don't know how long they've got to keep this thing going, and figure out some new life somewhere. Every day they're being told, well, the fire hasn't come any closer, but we're still worried about it. And that, you can imagine how that feels for a lot of people, but I also feel for the fire crews who must be as exhausted as we are, if not more, because they're the ones who have to keep going out every day into that situation.
0: Yeah, it's, it's not ideal for anybody. There's no question about it. Um, Ollie, thank you so much for being here today, and thank you for your work. I know I've relied on it to keep uh, track of what's happening up there, and uh, continued success, and stay safe.